Welcome back for another episode of Talk to Tatiana. And today I want to talk a little bit more about the legal secrets of really saving more on tax. And so just to give you a little background, um, the United States tax code is really geared toward small businesses. And small businesses, as I mentioned before in one of the previous episodes, small business is the biggest employer in the U.S. as well, and the government knows it. Um, and the reason that it that it also creates um, various incentives and really tax cuts and benefits is because of that, because um, the United States government knows that small business is the driver of the economy in the United States. So what, what does that mean to you and how does this help you and why does it matter to you? The reason that it matters is that um, if you know all of the available tips and tricks, you really can pay less tax and those tips and tricks are designed for small business owners. There's no doubt about it. Problem is, um, because of the way the U.S. legislative branch works and kind of the history and traditions of the United States, it kind of got into this um, stage of, um, I guess that's the right word, stage of being too complex. And so um, in order to really save proactively on taxes, you need to either become an accountant and to know about it or um, hire an accountant to do to do it for you. And so, you know, there's always these reports coming out that um, the, mo- the richest people in the world pay the least amount of tax. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about that, but um, also want to explain how they do it and why they do it and why you should be doing the same thing. So the richest of the world, the Warren Buffetts of the world, the um, I don't know, politicians of the world and so on and so forth have people like me um, working for them. Usually they have teams of people like me working for them. Um, and so usually it involves a bunch of tax planners, also tax attorneys, um, technically, um, and then everything in between. Usually it's a team of people. I used to work for an accounting firm early in my career where I got my first CPA experience. And um, I worked for this firm and there were about seven partners at the firm. And the firm serviced um, a very well-known movie um, star. And our firm did everything for this person, handled their kids' accounts, their taxes in every state because entertainers often have to perform in different states and it's not uncommon for them to file in 50 states um, and also international as well. Um, Handle trusts, estate planning with the attorneys, wealth management with the wealth managers and stuff like that. It was a really big client for not only for the firm, but also the partner who brought that client on. And um, it's a concierge service. What does that mean? Well, you know, accounting for a long time has been a um, really transactional service. You go to the accountant, they prepare your taxes, charge you X, and that's it. And you hope for the best. You hope that it's done correctly and properly. Um, but in the past five to 10 years, this the kind of the um, tendencies and trends have shifted significantly. And um, accountants have been 
you know, getting burnt out for for many years. And only recently there has been a wave, probably about five years old, that wave is, of accountants who value their time, who value their expertise, and who are no longer interested in um, unlimited growth. Um, and I'm one of them. Um, I don't want to have more clients um, after a certain point. I know that point. Um, I'm already there. And so if I take on a client, it usually is as a... I find it a really interesting industry or, um, or I really like the people or, um, or something of that nature. And so, you know, you've got to have fun at work and you got to work with nice people. And if clients are assholes, then you don't want to work with them. So, um, really, uh, for, uh, for me and for many people like me, uh, we prefer to work with lower number of people. So what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, when you work with less people, um, then you have to charge more, a lot more. But honestly, what I found was that people want to pay more because they want the service. They, you know, there is a certain um, type of people who are DIY. Some are DIY uh, mindset because they have to, because they don't have you know, resources available to not be DIY. But at the same time, um, at the same time, you know, you have to understand that, um, um, when you are DIY mindset and you can afford to hire someone, you could stay in that DIY mindset and, you know, spend hours and hours of, of taking care of the financial number, money numbers and taxes, um, aspect of things. But you also can actually have a concierge service, just like a concierge service at an airport or in a town where you travel or with a, I don't know, with a, babysitter or daycare or whatever, this is accounting service can be a concierge service. And most people who are high earners have that service. Typically, because you get paid more from one client, you um, learn more and, um, uh, and really look for more loopholes and, and opportunities to save the client money on tax. And so this mindset of a good accountant who gets who the one who gets me a biggest tax refund is false because you know it's your money that you don't um, use throughout the year. Also, um, if your accountant gets you abnormally high tax refunds, um, check if they have a license. So maybe a CPA or an EA would be nice. At least they have something to lose. But otherwise, it's really difficult um, to trust them, and I wouldn't trust someone like that with my taxes. But but you have to understand also that um, there are legal ways to save taxes. You have to find them, you have to apply them, you have to back it up. So every time I talk about a strategy on a podcast or uh, my podcast or other people's podcasts, typically I talk about the fact that you can do all of these things. You can hire children and do whatever, but you have to have backup in case of an audit. You would never get audited for last year in this year. That doesn't happen like that. You would get audited to three years back and go back and find all the invoices, all the statements, all the stuff that you're supposed to show if and all the support for these strategies if you haven't done it contemporaneously. So as you go, that's the kind of the secret and why when, you know, when uh, people were talking about, um, see, looking at or uh, Trump releasing his taxes, um, 
there was some something about $750 that he paid in tax. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to see that tax return because I would love to see what they're doing to reduce the tax so much. Everything we do, I do is legal because I have a license and I don't want to risk it. But um, there, there's a team of people who do the same thing for these big people, um, for that Warren Buffett's of the world. Um, and, you know, all of the celebrities, they all have a concierge service where people actively con and consistently look for ways to save them money on tax. There are uh, celebrities that sometimes get into, you know, in the news where they try to evade tax. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not a legal way of saving taxes. There are some strategies that are really good. Um, and, and honestly, there's an abundance of them and there's an abundance of them for you, um, a general taxpayer. How, regardless of how much money you have, you have to understand that there are legal ways of reducing taxes. But once the year is over, it's too late for most of them. And so I usually encourage people to change their, shift their mindset. Do you want to be dealing with this stuff in your business? Like I am a big proponent of a CEO of the business being very familiar with the numbers, understanding the um, big picture things about taxes and responsibilities and things like that. Big proponent of that. But um, I'm also a big proponent of you don't want to be filling out stupid forms um, that you get sent. Concierge service accountant can do that for you. Um, similarly, um, you, when when I work with clients, we usually work on a monthly you know fee, and um, all of that stuff is included. And for two out of three packages, it's a concierge service. Also, you have to change that mindset of, you know, I had this potential client come to me once and say, you know, I had this issue with my accountant. I want to switch out. He submitted my tax payment twice, and now I'm trying to get the money back. And for the money I'm paying him, you know, um, I do, you know, I deserve better service. And I'm like, okay, how much are you paying him? He says $2,200. And I'm like, really? That's really good for once a year service. You know, that's kind of where the shift for me as an accountant came through, where I was thinking about, okay, so you pay somebody $2,000 a year. Not only do you expect them to file everything for that money, you also expect them to answer your questions throughout the year. How does that work? And so that's why a lot of accountants are burnt out and have this conveyor style um, operation in their firm. And honestly, if they lose a few clients here and there, they don't care. Whereas I do care because I work with a lot less. And so um, you have to understand that mindset. Well, I went a little bit longer than I expected on that, but. Um, Essentially, there. I'll give you a few ideas that you can write down. Number one is um, kind of a duh style um, idea. Well, two points, but not. I'm surprised every year that not everybody uses that. One is this is these are the two strategies. Once the year is over, so once last year is over, um, what you could still do before April 15th is contribute to a retirement account, max it out, 401k or IRA, whatever floats your boat, whatever works for you. If, you're, if your um, employer offers a 401k, then go for it, especially if they offer a match. Um, if they don't, setting money aside for an IRA, especially in the years that you make more or 
um, whatever, you can actually save some decent amount in tax. Um, and it basically works as if the government is paying a portion of your retirement contribution, which is awesome. Um, the Open Health Savings Account, an HSA, I always get surprised how many people don't use it. There is a little caveat for that. You need a high deductible medical plan, health coverage, um, and the deductible has to be over 1400 for a single, um, and by single, I mean uh, filing status. And for married, pe- for married people or for family plan, not necessarily married, it has to be um, 2800 or more. So if your deductible, total annual deductible is 2800 or more, if you have a family plan, you are eligible to put money into an HSA. Here's the thing. So you put this money away into a medical account, essentially. You can get it, you can use it for your copays, your prescription medication, over-the-counter does not qualify, your therapy um, that, you, that is paid to a qualified licensed professional, um, dental visits, anything related to that as well. And a lot, and a few other things. You would have to consult your tax advisor on that. But what I want you to make to think about is um, take advantage of that. There are a couple of organizations online, like online banks, that do these. There used to be a lot more regular banks that would do open up an HSA account for you. The problem is that was um, you have to like they don't really make money on it. So that's why I went with like an online one, so that uh, once they you know, they can actually invest it for you. Like you can invest your HSA money. So you can contribute up to $3,650 if you're single, um, $7,300 if you're married, um, you know, or have a family plan. You can contribute up to those amounts um, up until April 15th for the last year. So let's say in this, in the current year, we're looking at back for 2021, even though the year is over. And that money does not have to be used this year and you don't lose it. With an FSA that you may have at work, flexible spending account, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so it, there's really a balance of how much you want to contribute and then if you don't use it and blah, blah, blah. So um, I am a big proponent of HSAs. With a high deductible plan plus an HSA, you would generally save more money, not only on tax, but also on the setup itself. We've calculated that when there was an open window for us to choose our plan for the following year. A couple of years ago, I did a calculation analysis and essentially HSA work better um, than let's say a lower premium, a higher premium plan, lower deductible with no HSA. Um, Also this money in the HSA um, account is never taxed. And that's the beauty of it. That's a gold mine. Because you contribute to an HSA, you get a deduction for it. So you don't pay tax on that. You take the money out for medical expenses, for qualified medical expenses, you don't pay tax on that. And if it's invested and grows, it's gross tax-free. It's awesome. So take a look at the HSA while you still can. But those are not really super secret um, strategies. But they are... I'm amazed at how, how many of them aren't used um, as often as they should be. Um, also, there is a something, um, something that I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about is um, there is this rumor that really floats around um, that talks about you can, that you can claim personal expenses if you have an LLC. That's not true. 
That is incorrect and is illegal and is fraud. You should not be doing that. Um, I also recommend if you work for yourself, you're self-employed, you have a side gig, keep a separate bank account for all of your business expenses and income. Separate account, no commingling of funds, the best strategy ever because it's such an easy um, audit if you ever get audited, okay? A couple of weeks ago, I was featured in the U.S. News and World Report um, in an article. You can find it on my media page, um, on my website, but that's where I talked a little bit more about kind of how you can um, score tax deductions if you have a small business. And it's true. It's really a goldmine that not a lot of people use. And so um, there are things that you can deduct if you have a business that are really are generally not deductible uh, when you work for someone else. And a great example of this is your um, commute, I guess. It's not really commute because the commute itself is never deductible. But if you commute to work, your commute is not costs are not deductible at all. But if you have a business, a small business out of your home and you commute to a client's location here and there, then because your home is your primary place of business, you can actually go for it. So you can actually deduct a portion of your travel um, for business purposes. And so there are rules to be met there and documented. And that's what I recommend. Document and documenting is everything. So highly, highly recommend that you look into it. Now, another um, hidden, more hidden rules, and this is in the realm of the super rich, the ultra rich people, when accountants do this for them, is renting out your home according to the Augusta exemption. It's an, it's an Augusta rule. Augusta exemption, and um, beware of the fraud that's out there that's being promoted by people. Um, I'm very conservative when it comes to taking deductions. Conservative, but at the same time, I find um, righteous deductions that other people don't know about or don't even consider. So Augusta rule is actually a really good um, exemption um, available for people who own their home. Um, rent can rent it to their business for 14 days or less per year. And whatever rent that business pays to the homeowner is not taxable as income to the homeowner. So if it's your business and you rent a home for 14 days a year, so maybe a meeting a month or two a few times, um, you get rent and you don't report it to the IRS. At the same time, the business takes the deduction for that rent. So it's absolutely a beautiful thing. A couple of caveats. You have to document it. You have to have a lease. You have to have a market study. I mean, not market study, but more like do some work on um, what the fair market value is and things like that. So you have to be careful and look at um, what the market value for a conference room for a full day at a, at a neighbor, neighboring hotel is, uh, maybe a couple of hotels, or maybe what would the rental be for a day at an Airbnb or something that would be a comparable rental so that it's more um, fair market value for that rental. 
um, a client of mine recently sent me, well, probably about two months ago, sent me a text message, a screenshot of a Facebook group for real estate agents. And there, um, somebody, um, I don't know this person, um, was saying, well, my CPA is so awesome. They told me about this Augusta rule. Um, and I write off $75,000 a year for renting my home and I don't have to report it and blah, blah, blah. And I saw it and I almost had a heart attack. This person, whoever that is, will get audited and will get slammed with, uh, with a huge penalty and a huge tax because there's no way one day of rental and, you know, we're talking about 75,000 time uh, divided by 14 days because that's the maximum. Once it crosses the 14-day threshold, it's taxable. So per day rental is $5,357. There's no way that you can show me a survey or a study where you would rent one small little conference room for one day in the neighborhood, even in New York City, for $5,300. No way. So you have to be careful. There are these availabilities and things like that. And that's why I said for the ultra rich, there are tax attorneys who prepare documents. We as tax planning accountants do something similar, but on a smaller scale for clients. But we have all the paperwork in place as the year progresses. Not once when you get audited three years later, you have to scramble to create something. Also beware of this advice on Facebook. Um, it's really, when I saw that, I was, I told my client, you got to stop reading this, um, this graph, <laughs> honestly. All right. Um, and one more thing that I will, um, share with you is, um, really one of my favorites and it's hiring children. The only thing is that, um, for kids, for you to get the savings from hiring children, there are quite a few, I guess, um, what's the word, um, caveats um, that you have to follow. And one of them is that there has been tax court law that talks about kids from age of seven and up um, to be able to work for their parents' business. Now, the child has to work at a parent's sole proprietorship. So it can be a single member LLC, but the income and expenses for that business have to be reported on a Schedule C, which is a part of the regular individual tax return. So usually the setup that we use for our clients is this. Let's say I have a, um, um, an S-Corp um, and I pay, and my husband provides IT and admin services to my S-Corp business, which he does. Um, and I pay him out of my S-Corp to his sole proprietorship a certain amount of money. He then turns around and pays our children um, whatever it is for the uh, services that they provide, which is um, handwriting cards, um, taking photos and videos and things like that. Um, and it's beautiful because they get to experience, you know, handwriting and stuff like that. And I get to, um, not have to do it. <laughs> and clients love kids signed cards. So really awesome. Um, again, 
that's why I usually, when I talk, if you ever hear me talk about entities and things like that, I usually prefer a multi-entity structure. And this two-entity structure, an S-corp and a sole proprietorship is a perfect example. And I have quite a few clients who are doing that. And we have a timesheet for kids. They work only off school hours and weekends and summers and things like that. And they only have a limited amount of hours that they work. And um, like I said, it's seven years and up. Um, generally because like I know because my son is almost seven, he's just starting to read and write really well. And so it's really before that, it's really hard to justify any work besides a modeling, photo modeling work, for example. Another great idea, and this is again, a part of planning, being a good parent potentially, and also um, saving money on tax. And the reason the payroll for kids is so important um, actually, we'll jump back um, into it for a minute. But the reason that it's so important is because um, when you pay children out of a sole proprietorship, again, you have to run payroll. It has to be a W-2. Um, they're exempt from Social Security and Medicare. So the kids are exempt from FICA. And so on and under 12000 it's actually a little bit more than 12000 It's like 12000 and um, and change. Um, for 12,000 on 12,000, if your tax rate is 35 or 37 percent, let's say 37 percent, your federal tax rate, we're not even talking about state, and you um, also save on FICA for, for the kids, which is another 15.3 percent, that's a total of 52.3 percent. So, on a $12,000 payroll that you would pay your child, um, you're saving over $6,000 in federal tax. So it's totally worth it. Yes, you have to pay for the payroll service, which is maybe 70 bucks a month. But um, you really have to, you know, you're really saving. And if you have more than one child that's over seven, that's a goldmine of opportunities. So today in this episode, we only covered a few little things that I do right off the bat for every for every client that has children, because there's always something that the children can do and they love to participate in the parents' business. And so uh, just keep in mind that um, um, you really have to think forward and think, how can I use this to reduce taxes? Because there are other things and there is a million of them, like deducting your Peloton if certain things, if certain conditions are met or deducting wine if certain conditions are met or um, deducting daycare if certain conditions are met on your business. There's a lot of opportunity um, to save money on tax. You just have to have a different mindset. Accounting service like that would cost significantly more. But in normally, and I don't, I can't speak for all of the progressive accountants, but I can tell you from my experience, if I can't, with the savings that I get someone, a client, if I cannot at least double their savings, meaning my fee times two is their savings, then I don't even take the client on because it's not worth it. Not for them and not for me. So just um, think about that. And if you have questions or comments, I would love to hear them because this is a very, very, very personal topic. I love saving people money on tax legally, you know, and most traditional accountants would just say, you know, charge some times a dinner here and there for personal on business and things like that. That's not a strategy. What the strategies that we work with are strategies that are um, 
have gone through a tax tax court and have been upheld, have been sustained. Um, there's, you know, tax court is really cool to read the cases. And I took the exam, should find out in a couple of months whether I passed it. It was a really hard legal exam. Um, and that's really, um, tax court has reviewed a lot of things. And that's why we do the paperwork and the paper trail and the uh, money trail for everything. We do it legally. We do it the right way. Um, and we do it throughout the year because, um, we know what evidence will be will be acceptable in tax court if you ever get challenged so that you can win. And so I encourage you to just think about it. Think about if there are ways in your life that you could save money. And if you have a business, when you have a business, you have control over how income is earned in your life. And so when you have a business, it's really easier to create structures and create mechanisms to save money on tax. All right, my friends, this is a long episode, but I hope I gave you some food for thought and you can ask your questions, your accountant, some really good questions to make them work for you a little bit. All right. See you next week and have a great weekend.